Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. And as we talk about this idea of heaven, where we've been in this Next Step series, where last week we talked about hell, this week we're going to talk about heaven. And I want to start off with a question. What do you think heaven is like? What do you think heaven is like? I feel like a lot of people have an idea of what hell is like. I, did, I told you all last week that I could see hell being a place where it's a room full of crying babies that you have to put to sleep. Um, man, I, I really thought I'd get more jokes, a second, more laughs the second time I told that joke, but it's still, uh, still kind of tough, okay? Lauren told me before, do not tell that joke, but I'm going to keep telling it until I get more laughs. Uh, <laughs> uh, but today we're going to be talking about heaven, and today's title is My Kind of Heaven. Because it's almost like heaven is, everyone has a different imagination of what it's like. If you notice that, even in, in movies, TVs, like even just growing up, we imagine like, well, I think heaven's going to have chocolate fountains on every corner, or... <laughs> Uh, I think heaven is going to just be, um, everyone's going to get a mansion, uh, yada, yada. I want to read you all this verse in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8 through 9. He says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And he's talking about the return of Jesus Christ to where we get to enter this heaven life. To where it's almost like once Jesus comes back on Judgment Day, we enter in eternity, whether we're alive or not. And I love that Peter gives this analogy that one day is like a thousand years to God, and a thousand years is like one day. And... If you really look like into it, the Bible records uh, us being in like the 7,000 year of the earth being historically recorded in the Bible from the, from the creation of Adam to now. And so we're in the 7,000, you know, entering the 7,000 year period and, and the earth was also uh, God rested on the seventh day. And so it's kind of like a similarity to where we're in the one point of time where we're at like 7,000 years and on the seventh day, God rested. So it's almost like a, that's just like a, an idea to you guys that the, the Lord's coming is sooner than later. But what the Bible is saying here is that one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. And it's so hard to imagine an eternity where there is no concept of time, right? It, it's, it's almost impossible. It's like, trying to think of a color that you've never seen. It's just impossible. And to imagine this eternity where there is no concept of time and that God is, is literally orchestrating and sovereign over our world that is subject to time, it's, it's hard to imagine. But when we th- uh, the way that the Bible describes heaven is like this timeless state. And uh, I remember hearing, a, I was never raised in church, but I remember hearing stories of of. Uh, people when they're older talking about their their experience in kids church when they were younger and I heard this one story of this lady that was helping in the kids church and 
she was leading the kids during worship and and y'all know that sometimes lady like some of those ladies don't know how to sing good and so this this adult now is describing that this lady was singing and that he was just like oh my gosh like covering his ears like this is horrible please when will this be over and that right when she was like near the end of the song she's like kids isn't this great in heaven we're gonna do this forever (laughs) and so that kid that adult at the time the adult thought as a kid man i don't think i want to go to heaven (laughs) if it's gonna just be this long drawn out worship session like what else are we gonna do there and i feel like as christians a lot of us have thoughts what is heaven really like y'all dig what i'm saying and um, starting off with what it's like, I want to I start with this verse. We're going to go over a lot of scripture today. And I want to preface y'all that I do not know everything about the idea of heaven depicted in the Bible. But what, what I will go as far to say is that I don't, I don't really try to do any absolutes or 100% for sures of what heaven or hell is like for eternity because the Bible only gives so much content about it and it doesn't say this is all you like this is all there is to heaven. So even if even if there were only images of heaven being a worship session, that doesn't mean all of heaven will only be a worship session. That's just the glimpse that we were given. And so I want to as we talk about this, I want y'all to know that th- what I'm teaching you guys doesn't mean that this is everything there is. Because God only gave us a limited portion. Y'all feel me? And so I'm going to do my best to, to teach you guys um, what, what we do know from the Bible. So starting off in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, it says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not, it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So one, real quick, what, the reason I wanted to share these verses before we talk more about what it's like, is I want to give a preface that the Bible tells us that in eternity, this heaven-like state, that we're literally given new bodies, that we're not just these entities of spirits moving around. And it, that, that should even teach us a little bit about God, that he's just not an energy out in the universe. That even in heaven, Paul is describing that we're given these, these new heavenly bodies that contain our spirits. That's not like these earthly bodies. And so it's just an illusion that it's not just we're all energies going back to the energy that we came from. But that's very specific about how God and Jesus are, are these these uh these this creator this being that has created us and we're going back to him but not in just this fantasy you know fairy tale kind of way y'all get what i mean it's not like star wars where they just dissipate and then they're just these you know energies floating around and help you from time to time 
All right, y'all obviously aren't that into Star Wars. Okay. Um, but uh, other, other places in the Bible that, that talk about heaven, it describes it as a place of no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more evil. That, that, that all of the, the sorrows of this world, we're not going to experience. And I want you to think about what, what all attributes to sorrows. And then you have to think, well, that's not going to be in heaven. Like taxes, right? <laughs> not going to have to pay taxes in heaven. That's a great thing. And th- no more pain. That means that we're not even going to uh, have to hunger. Sometimes I, some people don't really understand the depth of what that means. But if you've ever been hungry before to where you couldn't buy food, you understand that this is a big deal to where you never have to hunger again. That there's no more sorrows. If, if you think about the sorrows of your life, think about the, the last thing that has stressed you out to the point of crying. Think about the last thing that has made you so anxious or angry to the point where you wanted to throw your hands up and just give up. See, those kinds of sorrows are not going to be there anymore. There's not going to be those kinds of stresses of life that we have to deal with from day to day. And, and just that alone is like, well, I think I'm ready for heaven. You know? <laughs> but that there's, that there's not any evil in heaven. That there's, no, there's not even a possibility for, for evil to enter in. And uh, what goes beyond that is that there's going to be a different kind of life there in heaven compared to here now. The way that the Bible, uh, uh, that Jesus gives a lot of parables about heaven talks about a different kind of society than what we're, what we're acquitted to here on earth. And it, it, it's not just this place where we just sit down and just sing hymns around the campfire of God all day, but that Jesus literally describes the parables of heaven almost as if we're going to have a society with responsibilities in heaven. And think about that for, for a second, that we have responsibilities in heaven, that we're going to have jobs and duties and at first glance, you're like, no, God, please. <laughs> I've had enough work for today. Like, Earth is enough work for me. But if you've ever served in a ministry or at church or done anything like for, with the concept of doing it for God, it is one of the most satisfying feelings in the world. I mean, for me, once I first started moving chairs for church, I was like, man, this is awesome. I love serving at church. I love doing ministry. It's life-giving to me. And and when you think about if, if you've ever had that, an experience like that is one of the most enjoyable things. Well, those are all responsibilities. Even if you look through throughout the Bible, like let's look at Joseph, for example. Did you, it says the Bible says that Joseph, who was sold by his brothers to uh, as a slave, later falsely accused and imprisoned and then eventually became the the um, second to Pharaoh in Egypt to where every, he was in charge of everything. It, it constantly said that the Lord blessed Joseph. And when he was in prison, it says that God blessed Joseph. When he was a slave, it says God blessed Joseph. And it was in uh, the way that we see the blessings was he was given more responsibilities in the, the things that he was at. It's almost like when you really look at the blessings that he was given, it was responsibilities and tasks. And not that I think that heaven is going to be like prisoners, uh, slavery, <laughs> that we're given responsibilities, but that so many times the blessings of God uh, are almost as, uh, we don't even realize at the time that they're responsibilities. Look at the blessing of a child. I mean, look at the blessing of a child. 
We, we prayed for our, our daughters. We prayed to have children and we waited to have joy. We were trying for three years to, to get pregnant with joy. And it was like a, a hope and an expectation. And now that we have her, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. And I, I could honestly say that in this, I don't even think I should really say this, but I never understood the impulse to shake a baby until you have one screaming at you for three hours. Like, I'm not agree. I'm not saying condoning it or saying that it's okay or anything like that. But even just the impulse, like, oh wow, like that's where that comes from. And if you've ever had to put a, a crying baby to sleep for hours at a time, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it's so funny that that is a blessing, but it comes with responsibility. And when we go to heaven, that that again, I don't think that it's a responsibility that we could even fathom or understand with our earthly minds but that it the way that's described the main point i'm trying to get across is that it's almost described as a as a new kind of society to where we we live and move and it's not just us sitting there not doing anything y'all feel what i'm saying Uh, another thing that's described is that our interactions relationally are going to be completely different there's a time where jesus says that in heaven that People are not given into marriage to one another. And so we're, we're given like a, a completely new identity, a new, a new body to where we're not even, we don't even have this desire for marriage of another human being. Me and my wife joked about when we first got married, like, well, when we get to heaven, we can at least, you know, have our houses next to each other. Like, just so, we, you know, if we're not going to be married, we could at least, you know, be neighbors because <laughs> we really like each other. But it's, it's the idea that, that marriage, even marriage, is not something that we're given into. That that whole idea of friendships are going to be different. The, uh, the way that Jesus completely teaches us over and over is that we should love one another. Imagine a heaven to where you actually like all the people that you're around. That the, all the people in heaven are going to uh, uh, exude a joy to you when you see them. It's like a, a new body to where we don't have a grudge against anybody. That we freely get along with everybody around us. It's a, it's, again, that's impossible for us to imagine. It's a nice thought, but to truly experience that, it seems almost impossible. But that's why we're given a new body. And then one of the best parts is that in heaven, we're going to have a deep and personal closeness with God that satisfies our soul. That it's going to be so intimate with God our Father that there's, uh, there's going to be no separation from us and him. Let me read you all uh, these verses in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 7. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was, uh, was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from, out of heaven, from God out of heaven, with a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now coming is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for that 
For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be with be their God and they will be my children. This is such a powerful glimpse of heaven, of God coming down to earth. And it describes that it's a whole new heaven. It's a whole new earth. We're given all new bodies. And it says that, that we are literally uh, with God in this new city of Jerusalem, this new, this new like, major spot. And there's, uh, in this same chapter in other parts of the Bible, it says that there's not even a need for the sunlight anymore because God is, is the light to his people. That he just exudes the all of the, the nourishment and nutrition that comes from the sun's rays that we don't even need it anymore because God himself satisfies even every part of our being, every facet of life. And if you think about what the sun is to us now, it, 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 nothing in the world would exist without the power of the sun. We're completely reliant off of the sun's power. And it's a, a foreshadowing of what it will be like for heaven to where everything that we need comes from God. That he is the sole nourishment for us. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And the way that he explains himself saying that he will live with his people and his people will live with him. I mean, that, that's another idea that seems impossible to really imagine of being that intimate and close with God. Y'all know what I'm saying? And what it also leads us to is our next point is where is it? Where is heaven going to be? See, right now, heaven is somewhere else. Every time it's talked about heaven or uh, a God in heaven, someone going to heaven, it's always described as being a part, uh, somewhere separate than this world, somewhere else. But it, even, uh, even this last week, we talked about how hell is described as different holding places. Well, even the holding place for heaven is what Jesus describes as paradise to the thief on the cross. It, when the thief said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And it's, it's described as this temporary heaven that people wait for the, for the final heaven to come. And on judgment day, that's when God will bring heaven to earth. What it describes there in Revelation. Now look, there's, you could look, uh, theologians and different uh, people look at these scriptures and they analyze it differently. I'm just going to explain it to you as like the basic understanding okay so whatever you find in different contexts or uh, deeper depths you know that's your prerogative i'm just giving you a basic uh, understanding of it so what it describes is that on judgment day god is going to bring heaven to earth and that's not going to be the earth as we know it but that will be a new earth and what's interesting is that uh, the old testament is a foreshadowing of everything in the new that God is, is, a, is so keen and detail-oriented that he foreshadows everything in the Bible to point to Jesus, to point to uh, his, his purpose of bringing us to him. And in Leviticus, when it's going through all of the purification processes, the way that anything and everything was purified in the Old Testament is either by blood, water, or fire. If it was a garment that had mold on it, blood, water, or fire. If it was a, a person that needed forgiveness, blood, water, or fire. If it was even a pot that had mold on it, blood, water, or fire. 
Every, it describes in detail of how to purify these different things. And what's very interesting is that we see the same kind of purification process for us as Christians. Being washed in the blood of Jesus, being baptized in water, and then being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is described as fire, as tongues of fire. And so we see this glimpse for each individual as a Christian. And now look at it as the earth. We see the great flood covering the earth in water. We see Jesus' blood that washes the earth in blood to where everyone, the whole earth is, has access through Jesus Christ in the blood. And then in 2 Peter and other parts of the Bible, in chapter 3 of 2 Peter and other parts of the Bible, it describes how the final judgment that God will cover the, cover the earth in fire. Isn't that amazing? That, that the Bible is so intricate and so consistent that even the simple thing that you read about in Leviticus, and in Leviticus, if you've never read it, is usually a book that most people skip in the Bible. <laughs> in, in this seemingly uh, unmeaningful part of Leviticus, we see a glimpse of every facet of our Christianity and even the, 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 in the apocalypse or end of the world kind of stuff to Judgment Day. And it's described as the earth being covered with fire. And when you, when you think about that, in Second Peter chapter 3, it says that the earth will be engulfed with fire to a point where even the elements and minerals would burn up. That would be just such, such intense heat that all of the minerals in, uh, will be burnt up. And so then start looking at the other parts that describes this, what heaven is like. It says streets of gold, seas of glass. Well, if all of the sea was engulfed in fire... All of our oceans were engulfed in flames at such immense heat. It would turn all of this. It would not only evaporate all the water, but turn all of the sand into glass. So when it, when you read seas of glass, it starts to make sense about the earth covered in fire. When it says streets of gold, well, if all of the minerals were burnt up to a point like the way the Bible describes, all of the precious metal from within inside the earth would rise up to the top. And it would, it would turn what we would normally use as dirt. All of that would be burnt away and all the inner minerals would rise to the top. And that's how you could have streets of gold. It's almost like it, it's a perfect depiction of what the Bible really describes. The only thing is that the, the prophets are just uh, and the disciples, the apostles, they're just describing it as they see it. But when you look at it in that aspect, it makes a lot of sense. So, oh, the earth being burned up in fire. Then the idea of the rapture makes sense that God takes his people to paradise and that, we, that he brings everyone back to this new earth after it's been purified. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so now, now that we have a, a, a deeper idea of what, where heaven might even be, it, the idea of it being here on earth, Let's, let's talk about one of the most important aspects is who is there? Who's going to be in heaven? Don't you want to know? I, I love asking. Uh, <laughs> this is a funny thing. And uh, there was one day at, I was at Brandeis High School Club um, this last semester. And I saw this girl in the club just crying. And these uh, different like volunteers and leaders around her like just talking to her. And uh and I went up, I was like, what's going on? And they're like, well, she's crying because we told her that animals don't go to heaven. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, well, I just love my dog so much. And like, she's serious, like really crying. And I just was there. I was like, well, where does the Bible say that 
animals won't go to heaven. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, oh, it says it. And I said, yeah, just tell me where. And they're like, there's no scripture that really says that. And I'm not an advocate for believing that animals go to heaven or whatever. But if I were to look unbiasedly, there's a lot of scriptures that could lead you to believe that there's animals in heaven. It says a, a kid, a, a baby could play next to a viper's nest and not be harmed in heaven. That there's no more kind of pain like that. A lamb could lay next to a lion. And so, again, I'm not making a statement here or a belief system. But it's funny that simple questions like that, like, well, will my dog go to heaven? <laughs> Everyone has questions of who's really going to be in heaven or not. And I think that's the biggest speculation that people have against Christianity. It's like, what about that, that third world country that's never heard about the name of Jesus? Are they going to be in heaven? What about, what about babies that, that die prematurely? Will they be in heaven? And this idea of who is there is something that really boggles our mind. And I, what, what I find rest in is that God is judge, that Jesus sits on the judgment throne, not me. And if, if Jesus, who saw me as a complete sinner, but made a way for me to get to heaven, then I think he, he'll do whatever he needs to do to get somebody else that he loves just as much. And it's not up to me to decide how Jesus handles things. But let me make it clear that the Bible points to Jesus as being the doorway to heaven. That we as Christians, if we believe in the Bible 100%, Jesus says about himself that he is the only way to the Father, that no one can come except through him. And when we think about, well, what about before Jesus came to this earth? The Bible describes it as, as the people of Israel hoping and looking to the coming Messiah. And that God, the, the way that even people were forgiven of sins was differently than the way that we are able to just go to Jesus now. It's so much simpler for us, so much easier. But it, the Bible looks at these people and sees those who were seek, uh, sought after God, who lived righteous lives. And when the Bible de- describes as Jesus setting the captives free, one, one theology is that he went to the place of Sheol, like we talked about last week. And those who were waiting in this, this, this holding place of a type of hell, that those who were waiting for, for God, those who... who tried their best to live righteous life, whatever way God sees it fit, that he set those captives free and brought them to paradise, the holding place of heaven. And so however it looks for each individual, again, it's not up to us to say, well, they're going to hell or, oh, they're going to heaven. That's not, that's not our part. That's the judgment that Jesus talks about that says, who are you to judge your neighbor? It, it is not our duty to say someone goes to heaven or hell. That's Jesus's job. And so let me, let's, let's go in depth into just modern idea, ideology here today. Like Jesus is alive. Uh, he died and he rose again. We believe that Jesus sits on the throne of heaven waiting to come back for judgment day. So who will go to heaven once judgment day happens? Well, let's, let's look at two types of people. There is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. It says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter on judgment day. When uh, many will say to me, 
um, Lord, Lord, we've prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. That's Jesus talking. And so pause real quick. He just talked about people who were doing miracles in the name of Jesus. He talked about those who were prophesying. So these are, these are people who are doing the ministry of God. And he's saying, you guys aren't going to make it. You're not going to, I never knew you. Now let's look at the, this other verse in, uh, verses in Galatians. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what our sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that so you are not free to carry out your good intentions because everyone has good intentions. Right. But our actions are a lot different. But when you are directed by the spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the reason I wanted to give this two-sided coin is because does the Bible not just cover everybody? <laughs> it, when you re, if you're prophesying and casting out demons and living this supposedly holy life, and yet Jesus is like, I don't know who you are. And then you got the other side where people are just doing whatever they want, living, all, uh, living in a lifestyle of sin. It's like, well, you're not going to make it either. And it's, if you just stick with those, you're like, well, shoot. <laughs> I'm starting to think that this was a game I was never going to win. Let's look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 15. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. See, the, the, the message of Jesus is so overwhelmingly simple. So overwhelmingly simple. He says, if you just look at it like a child, you'll get in. And it almost is counterintuitive as we grow in our knowledge of the Bible. It, the, the reason that he says this, he goes on about all of these, these ministry acts and saying, I never knew you, is because those are all religious practices and expectations. And when we just look at the ideas like, I'm going to just do ministry and earn God's approval for my life. He says, oh, I don't know you like that because I don't owe you anything. There's nothing that we could earn. If we, if we did everything right and try to earn this approval from God, he's like, I don't know you. What are you talking about? I don't owe you anything. But on the other side, if we just say, oh, well, you know, Jesus's blood, that's what he was there for. And we live in a lifestyle that indulges in sinful pleasure. He says the same thing. Oh, I don't know you. What what is it that God is really looking for? And see, the way he describes it as a child is. Is a child. Does a child easily trust their parents? Isn't it crazy that a child 
not even knowing how to walk, if a parent just extends their arms out, the child is like, okay, I can do this. At the risk of falling and hurting themselves, they trust their parents so much like, well, my, my mom or dad will catch me. And a child, up to a teenager probably, believes so much in the parent that it's like they, that they just, they, there's not a moment that they doubt that they're going to eat. They, they may tell the parent like, hey, just, I know that you're going to feed us, but I want it now. <laughs> it's like our prayers, right? I know that you're going to take care of me, God, but I want it now. <laughs> but children, they, it's not like they have this understanding of the world to where, like, they don't know if your bank account is a negative. <laughs> they just trust that everything's going to work out. And the way that Jesus says, if you just receive the kingdom of God like a child, you'll be fine. And what God is really looking for in us is qualification process as a relationship with him. And he's not a dummy. He's not, he's, it says that God cannot be mocked. And the way that these verses describe this interaction with God and, and not making us uh, participants in heaven is that we cannot play religion games and just do our, be a goody two-shoes and just show up to church and do all the right things. I mean, it says even casting out demons. I mean, shoot, I felt good just when I started tithing. <laughs> Saying if you, even if you're casting out demons and doing miracles, if you're just doing it for religion purposes, it's not enough. And the way that describes all these sexual sins, it covers everybody. If you're like, well, I've never murdered anyone, it's like, well, if you're just angry with someone, even if you just have dissension in your life, that's crazy. But what it's describing is an unrepentant lifestyle to where there's not any part of you that feels remorseful for sin in your life. That there's not one, the Bible says that not one person is perfect. That even our greatest holiness is like filthy rags to God. But then in another verse, it says that we are to be perfect because God is perfect. And so it says that we'll never be perfect, but that we should be perfect. It's, it's giving this idea of having some kind of repentance in our heart, a remorse for sin in our lives to where we don't, we don't just flip, flippantly indulge that we have this idea. It's like, well, that's not edifying to my relationship with God. Y'all dig what I'm saying? That, that, that is the very difference between a, a Christian, a supposed Christian, and a sinner. Both struggle with sin, but one has a lifestyle that is chasing after God. Y'all dig that? And I, I am so refreshed when I see children. I know that as, even as a parent myself, when my daughter starts screaming, I'm just like, dude, chill out. We're in public. <laughs> Calm down. But I, I love when even kids cry during church service, when kids scream during prayer. I love it because it reminds me of what I must seem like to God. <laughs> God, why? <laughs> I need it right now. Please. And everyone, uh, God and all of the heavenly beings like, Oh, it's okay, child. <laughs> it's going to be all right. And that 
That's the way Jesus describes the simplicity of trust in him. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And I, I feel like even right now in this room, there's so many of y'all that have been stressed out, even with this topic. Maybe you've struggled with the thoughts of your own salvation. Maybe there's somebody else that you've been concerned about for years that have passed away. And you're just wondering and asking God, God, are they with you? I'm so concerned for their soul. Where did they go? And what I feel like God is, wants you to know right now is that you could just trust in him. That that is, that is not something that you have to know. That you can just rest in the fact that God loves that person more than you. And that you, you do not have to know finality. That that's not your duty. That your, your earthly mind can't even handle finality. So don't even worry about it. And just leave that trust into Jesus. And there's some of you here right now that you're one of those sides of that coin whether it was playing religious games or having a lifestyle that is unremorseful of sin. And whatever it is for you, if you're here today and you say, God, I I want this childlike faith. I just need to trust in you and I need a relationship with you, God. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. And so what I want us to all do, whether you rose your hand, whether you already have this, this relationship with Christ as childlike, I want you to pray this prayer with me as a reaffirmation of your faith and just a reconnection with Jesus. Say, God, you are my father. You are my father. And I need to see that. I need to see that you care for me. That you love me. That you want the best for me. You sent Jesus for my sins. And he died on the cross for me. But he rose from the dead. And I want to be adopted into that family. I put my trust in you, Jesus. Be the Lord of my life. And the Savior to my soul. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to do life with you. Help me to do it. In Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.